Dum Dum Radio. Welcome back to Dum Dum Radio. We're excited to have you back. We hope you really enjoyed our last episode, episode five, featuring our interview with John Christopher Nelson. My name is Julia Gibson. I'm the music editor of Dum Dum Zine. Hi, I'm Talleen Kali. I am the founder of Dum Dum Zine. We're also so excited to have someone else very special back on the podcast with us. Hi, Rose back here, managing editor of Dum Dum Zine. So excited to be back on the episode today. The gang's together again. Gang's all zooming. We've had you here, in a sense, with your role in the intro. Ooh, should we, should we ask her to do it? Do, do the thing. Do the thing. <laughs> You're listening to Dum Dum Radio. <laughs> yes. Love it. So professional. <laughs> like I'm on NPR. I love it. Somebody said we have really sexy NPR voices. And I was like, thank you. Reviews are in. We have NPR voices. Sexy NPR voices. Sexy NPR. <laughs> like the afternoon show NPR, not the morning ones. <laughs> We've been reminiscing a lot about recording our very first episode of Dum Dum Radio back in Tallinn's old loft with all of our gear, IRL. <laughs> yeah, I just came across a picture that I took of the two of you and Lilu, the pup. And we're just like hanging out on my sofa. There's like microphones with pop filters. There's like a bunch of like issue materials littered around on the on the table. Cause I think back then we were just starting work on issue six. Yeah, we were right in the thick of it. So it's really interesting to see how much time has passed now. It's been about a year and how we were in that space, that rest and resist space. And now we're we're here in the middle of quarantine and in the middle of so much uh, change for our country. It's really an interesting um, place to pick back up and, and revisit issue number six. Mm-hmm. Truly. Yeah. And we're technically putting issue six to bed on this episode by doing something a little bit different this time. You're not going to be hearing too much from us past the intro because for episode six, we'll be centering Black voices in our zine community. And that's also going to be our farewell to our beloved issue six, Rest and Resist. We are so honored and excited to feature these writers and their pieces on air on our podcast. I'm super pumped to be able to use this platform on the podcast to be able to bring back our contributors and have them share a little bit about you know, some backstory on their pieces and and reflect on that time when everyone was submitting to our zine and and how we put it together. Um, So I'm very, very excited to hear from them today. Yeah, Rose, it was it was an amazing time. It was us coming together a few years into the Trump era. And I know we're still in the Trump era right now. It felt at the time really liberating to publish so many pieces rich with resistance. And part of that in issue six had to do with speaking out and self-care and that double-sided coin that we need to have and share our voices and to to say what's necessary. And it feels like that's even truer right now as society is collapsing and the Black Lives Matter movement is at the forefront of our cultural consciousness as it should be. And we want to continue talking about these pieces, talking about these important issues even though it feels like they're out of the news cycle and especially because it feels like they're not 
they're not getting as much attention in the news cycle. So whatever we can do, we want to do whatever we can learn, whatever I can learn. I, I want to show up and, and just do my part and keep learning. And this is just one, one way that, that we can make that offering today. I think, you know, as a publication, we do have the responsibility of joining the conversation and being open to learning and also being able, Rose, like you said, too, to take this platform, not only the, um, not only using our publication, but also using this audio platform to be able to bring the focus back to these pieces and also give other people the opportunity to hear them performed in maybe a way that they haven't been able to hear them too. I mean, I'm just thinking about um, our issue six release party that we had at the Echo and how- Getting goosebumps. Oh no, me too. (laughs) And we were lucky enough to have Marcus Clayton come read his piece, put the phone down live. Like Tallinn said, we're all getting goosebumps just remembering what his performance was like and how impactful that was. It was so beautiful seeing it be performed, especially since on the page, it looks so structural and um, concrete. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's, it's essentially concrete poetry and I I feel like it's so rare to see concrete poetry be performed yeah it was incredibly powerful um so I'm really interested to bring it to the the audio format now and and making sure that people get to hear it and experience that as well before we transition to that part of the podcast we also are very excited to talk to you about issue seven We're so excited to get started on a new issue, and we wanted to let our listeners know when our submissions are going to be open, because we want you to submit. We are going to be accepting submissions for issue number seven, starting on October 1st. They're open. It's back to school season, and we have a theme. We announced the theme a couple months ago during, I think, Julia, it was like episode four. I think it was. Yeah. So if you haven't listened to episode four, dip back in there, but you could also at any time, just like DM us or email us at info at dumdumzine.com. If you have questions about submissions, we'll be announcing the official prompt for submissions on October 1st. But just to give you a little teaser right here, right now, it's quarantine. Of course. (laughs) Surprise, surprise, surprise. (laughs) But we're really excited to hear everyone's perspectives, everyone's ideas, everyone's submissions. So like we said, mark your calendars because issue seven is in the making. So excited. So excited. So excited. So stoked. This is Piona, a piece of flash fiction by Allison Noel Connor. The ad was pinned to the trunk of a streetlight, a letter-sized sheet of paper, florid cramped penmanship, the puckering smell of wet chemicals. Could the Sharpie still be so fresh? A caregiver wanted who also massages. Such a simple request 
It made me think how I'd been feeling knotted up, strangled, undone. I memorized the number. 323-999-5151. It was like meandering a hazy, thorn-laced path. The rings led to a voicemail. I waited a day and had a weird dream. The images that remained, an eel without water, an aggressive green bush, a coyote's kiss. I thought about the dream all day long until consumed by a maniacal desire to call the number again. Pressing each button was an anxious duet with fire. The rings came to me woozy, a car careened slowly off the ledge. A woman answered. She sounded far away as if receding down a tunnel. Yes? Hello, I'm calling about the ads. I'd like an interview. Are you allergic? Not that I know of. Over the age of 18? Yes, I'm 28. She whispered to someone else. Gusts of hot wind threatened to pull me under. I rambled about my past experience as a babysitter, as an attendant in a nursing home, painting the nails of their fish scaly hands crystally clear, anything to keep her close. Sighing, she unfolded her instructions. Tomorrow at noon, prepare for a trial session. You needn't bring anything. We have it. Come as you are. I'll text you where. She abruptly hung up. Her voice resembled broken glass. Would she be my ward? Can you have a patient if you haven't any medical training? Where was I and how did I end up here? Did all this happen while I stood blearily at the intersection of Highland and Franklin? How could she hear, could I hear her through the shrieks and quivers from traffic? Walked days back to my studio. Despite the impenetrable gaze of the sun, the thought of her icy shards left me shivering. Had to blot out that horrible walker. Where did she come from? Reeking of sewer, her siltish face, wailing backwards songs, sloppily adorned in ruined blues. Never once did I feel panic about my lack of qualifications as a caregiver or mature. It didn't matter, did it? There's always a path to find or carve. Feet mangled, emerging from the green bush, a boomerang shaped plank between teeth, chasing who, printing a diagonal cut across the street, blink and gone. Gone. I awoke with a surge, dreams of static and suffocation. I spent most of my shower restraining the impulse to slip down the drain. She didn't live too far from me. The red line a few stops away followed by a 20 minute walk. By the time I arrived, I felt dehydrated, wrung out, anticipatory, alive and hungry for anything. Her house was small and tucked in the corner of a snarling steep road. Narrow stone steps led to a purple door. I rang the bell, waited a few beats and knocked, mostly for a jolt of sensation to feel the rough wood of the threshold. 15 minutes passed. I was about to turn around when a woman opened the door, or rather 
The door swung open, a figure beamed in the gash of light before retreating into the moist warmth of the house. I slipped into her cracks. Oh, long I've spent. Everywhere was dim, a modest bungalow, living room bleeding into a dining nook in an unlit kitchen. Fiona kept the blinds closed tight, sighting her sensitive eyes. Her hair dripped wet, gurgling corrosive voice. I tried speaking, but tongue fell phantom. Mahogany and Chanel throughout, but the furniture had a bored and exhausted quality, as if worn out from frequent passing down. Punctuating certain spaces were portraits of two bug-eyed women draped in robes, cleaved into a swallowing embrace. Their eyes surrounded. What did they know? Boiling. Waist down, her green dress hung stiff with dirt. My stomach unleashed a barbed snarl. We stood in the living room, separated by a steamer trunk, on top of which sat glassware for drinks. Bathed in shadows, her face glimpsed only through triangulations of filtered sunlight. What I saw was next extension. Her head turned back to gaze at a shut door off to the right, a door that seemed to be imperceptibly panting. For you to remember, a screeching crooked grin, this stranger warbling nonsense. She poured creamy liquid into tumblers, raised her glass to the closed door behind before gulping it in one voluptuous chug. The door shuddered, a quaking that filled the space with an epileptic heat. White excess ran down her chin, her serpentine tongue licking what it could. I gasped, unnerved by my inability to make out her face, to see only feedback in ghoulish moths. Please come. Frigid cackles from the door, coyotes outside, echoed overhead. My impulse to run was flooded by a choking suspension. To regard anywhere but this pillar of Piona was to wave through quicksands. We drank it all down. My belly was swollen to the precipice of nausea, eyes drowning in guilt. I swirled to my knees, bent before her swampy presence. She smells of cosmic between. She urged me to taste. Her hands gripped my neck and scalp fingernails sharp and puncturing, shoving me closer into the noise of her. Did the door just bark foul? Who's, who's there? I molasses rasped. Felt so good to sit, splayed like a fresh stain. Piona had mounted me. Her face reflected a chorus of fury. A hairy snout mashed against my mouth its tongue crying open. Who howled? What longed to stay buried? I gagged up a rubbery eel and then sank my teeth into its curving neck. Eyes shining, Piona swallowed down its remains. Our kiss was a collision of slippery red. Jesus released to finally splinter. The door knocked in rhythm with my heart's throb.
So the piece actually came out of a somewhat real experience in the sense that I don't have a car. I take the train or walk. And so there's just a period where during my commute to the train every morning, I would always pass this exactly how it's sort of described in the first paragraph. But I would always see this sign that was like um, caregiver wanted, like who also massages. And then like, you know, it was like this very thrown together sign. And I would pass it constantly, constantly, constantly. And it would always sort of warm in my mind because I just thought that was such a wild job. And I would always just wonder like, one, who was the person who put this up? And two, what type of person would answer this ad? And and even so, like what would occur once, you know, for this interview? Um, and that's sort of where the piece went from there, you know, just kind of imagining someone who's looking for a job, who's, you know, somewhat down and out and, you know, seeing this very weird invitation and just being like, oh, whatever, let's go with it. Yeah, I feel like these stories are kind of my way of exploring and processing these things that I see. (laughs) I've always written, I've always had journals, I've always, you know, brainstormed stories, but I feel like writing became more serious um, when I was in my late 20s. And I was at a point of just like trying to figure out what I wanted to do with myself. Um, I took this wonderful Black Women Writers course with this fabulous professor, uh, Kimberly Wanda Brown. And, you know, we read folks like Toni Morrison, Alice Walker, uh, Bell Hooks, you know, um, very seminal Black women writers. Um, And Gail Jones was included, but I had never heard of her before. And we read Curigadora, which is a very intense howl of a novel like really emotional really hard to read uh, more so for the content but the prose is also like difficult to parse as well just because it's very poetic um, it blends memories and and uh, um, dreams and history in this really amazing way um, and I remember reading her and and that really for me made me able to be like, oh, I can be a writer. Because to me, I don't know, I, I always read a lot, but I don't know, I was always intimidating by the thought of writing like a novel because like I had such this idea of like novels had to be like these big epic stories and like crazy sentences and intense descriptions. And not to say that Gail Jones doesn't do that in her work, but she brings the epic to a very intimate again, poetic, personal level that really related to me. And to me, it just seemed possible to write in these more alternative forms then. It was just very uh, eye-opening. I was like, wow, I can write these sort of fragmented, strange stories um, and still be published. You know, I just thought it was crazy. And so I feel like being introduced to her sort of opened my eyes to what was possible. My name is Deanna Hampton, and my piece is called, Is There, Is There a Reason, A Reason Why? Where are you? The land stripped from my hands. No longer do I stand on sheep's wool. I am on slaughtered lands. How does it feel? Blood dripping flag 
of which we pledged or else were banned. I cannot trust assumed command. Who are they? Eyes of demise, emotionless faces, a smirk to disguise, a plan for destruction. What do they do? Spraying the skies, poisoning of waters, raping of resources, slaughtering animals' lives. How do they do it? Cruel measures to silence the voices of the many, complacency, competitiveness, and obedience. When will it stop? When the planet breaks way, when the children cry so loudly, the earth shakes. What can we do? Dismantle the lies, become alive. When I wrote this piece, it was before um, Rosa messaged me for being a part of the issue. And then I was like, oh, I think I just wrote the piece, you know? So I kind of, I think I already had it um, written down just very, um, not too long beforehand. Um, and I, I, you know, for me, I consider myself an activist. I consider myself like an env environmental activist for sure. Um, I don't want to necessarily say political activist, but I do have a very strong, um, strong ideas when it comes to politics and things. So definitely the, I feel like the words that I'm trying to use is like, I'm trying to express a story of basically what has happened throughout thousands of years um, specifically in the United States of America, um, but definitely as a whole. So it's my inspiration is definitely natives, indigenous cultures, and just the history, or like I call it, her story, um, and just trying to figure out how in the modern day we can kind of go back to like the way that we're supposed to be in nature and how the people in power have been basically exploiting, you know, the land. And it's like their plan is to destroy. That's why, you know, like, and so again, it, it correlates with today because we're seeing our planet being destroyed by, you know, men and power and just consumption, human consumption, productivity, capitalism. Um, it's all just kind of piling up. And I feel like it's, it's not nothing, it's not anything new. It's something that has been happening for the last couple hundreds of years. So um, I'm always thinking about it. I'm like, you know, if you have a conversation with me tomorrow, I'm going to be talking about these kind of things because I find that a lot of people don't talk about them. I'm a California native. Uh, and so most of my life has been in basically Orange County and the Inland Empire and I think growing up, I was definitely, I have two older sisters. They're uh, 10 and 13 years older than me. So it was kind of like I was a only child, but I had like these motherly figures around me. And so for me going through life, it was all about observation. I observed what my sisters were going through. I observed what my mother was going through. And then it made me kind of have a different experience of life. I really tried my hardest to like, live through their experiences and like not repeat them. I am a black indigenous 
person of color. And so definitely my experiences have led me to so many things. And I also traveled, I've lived in um, India, I've lived in Mexico, I lived in Ecuador. That definitely opened my eyes to just a, a bigger world. And that's, again, why I'm so hard on like U.S. politics, because I'm like, we're so in bondage with like the capitalistic work routine. And I don't want to be all about my production. And I think that's my writing as well. I just stepped into my artistry, like maybe when I moved to Mexico. And before that, that was when I was like 26. So before that, I actually didn't think I was creative because no one really told me and no one like, you know, but I always knew I loved to write. Now I'm realizing how much writing is a part of me. Marcus Clayton. I'll be reading the poem, Put the Phone Down, from issue number six of Dum Dum uh, Magazine. There is no phone, no such thing. There is a black man driving. Sun's sedan, beige and bright, put away fingers on the holster. There is no phone, keep your fingers down. Holster fingers, put them down. There is no phone, no gun, black leather, holster attached at the hip, put down the gun. This is my car, fucking sun trickles down on a black man driving, beige and bright, beige, bright, bright, fucking bright sun trickles down fingers, on the holster, pays for, sun sedan, put the phone down. There is no phone, no such thing, white man in Mercedes, no numbers, in a speed trap. This is my gun, phone, put down gun, phone, no such thing, holster, gun, trickles down on the hood, a speed trap, son, put the gun, in a speed trap, black leather attacked at the hip, put down a black man driving. This is my gun. This is my speed trap. Put a black man down on the hood, fingers down. This is my car. No beige, no bright, no white. This is my black man. No such thing. Sun trickles down away, holstered fingers. Put the phone down, fucking black man. Once again, thanks for having me at that reading as well. It was a, it was a really exhilarating uh, event. Reading a poem uh, on the stage of the Echo was just like crazy, you know, because um, I'd never actually read the piece before. I didn't write it with the intention of reading it um, because it's so just. Uh, just jagged and torn apart in essence like abstract and what's supposed to be done but I took a big interest in writing this kind of poetry like I, I'm a huge fan of Douglas Kearney uh, poet there's a, a poem that I absolutely love because it's e easily googleable it's called Afro Afrofuturism it's like a pdf that you have to like download uh, because it's this words exploded on a page mm -hmm. and the way that he reads it on the audio recording is he has like five different voices reading different parts of the poem at the exact same time. I always loved that. And like the, the subject matter has like deals with like Afro, Afro pessimism. 
um, and like lyrics from Marvin Gaye's uh, well, Inner City Blues, which is like all about like, you know, uh, poverty and like uh, government spending on NASA instead of uh, spending on like low income neighborhoods and all this stuff and Harriet Tubman and products aimed towards black community and all this stuff just exploding into one another to kind of speak to a larger um, idea of like capitalism and racism and all this stuff. And it looks cool. He said in like interviews that he doesn't know how to read that piece either. Uh, especially live like he recorded the one audio track for a poetry foundation and then he, he was like but I want to do like five more of these like I have different ways I want to do it so with this piece put the phone down like it was originally supposed to be just like a, a plainly written poem uh, it was based on my dad getting pulled over uh, like in our hometown in Southgate, California, like he got pulled over because the cop thought he had a phone in his in his car. And then my dad did not, my dad never carries his phone anywhere. And then the cop told him like, okay, well actually you're speeding too. And he was like, I thought I just had a phone, you know? And they, the cop just kept giving him reasons to be pulled over. And that's something my mom and I always like kind of are, are very fearful of. Cause like, he's like a, a, a plainly a black person. Like he's a very obviously black person. I am not an obviously black person, you know. Like anything you see in the news, like just a, a black man, black woman being like shot and killed for no reason whatsoever, that's just always running through my mind, running through his mind, my mom's mind. So uh, this was just this poem was like written just like as a worst case scenario of like what if uh, the cop wasn't happy enough that he pulled him over, what have you. And I started writing it as a plain poem, and then I was like, this is not going anywhere, you know. And then. I just started like just arranging the words in different, you know, uh, formations, and I liked the way it looked on this side of the page, and like I liked the way it looked on this this other side of the page. So I just started just like copying, pasting, just random parts together, and then it just turned like this really intense, uh, I guess, confrontation on in the poem about you know these two people's interaction, just over a inconsequential item inside of a car that could have or could not have led to uh, a possibly fatal uh, end to the interaction. And the way that I read it, I really like to put emphasis on various tones, I guess, or like various volumes, because you know, I've, been, I've been pulled over a few times as one would expect. And it's, it's, it's never like people will tell you the bullshit of like, I'll just you know, follow the directions and you know, just stay calm. And, and I'm thinking like a million thoughts at once if I'm being pulled over, you know, I'm like, okay, where, where's my, uh, where's my license for registration? I didn't do anything. Like I'm, I'm almost home. Please let me go. I don't want to be a hashtag. There's all this stuff. Uh, so I want to make sure the poem kind of like uh, mirrored this idea of just like scattered thoughts and just like oscillating between calm and extreme danger in a way that just mirrors how one or like a person of color would feel being pulled over what that especially with the advent of camera phones and video phones you know has is very much not a isolated incident in the very least so um that was the genesis of writing that poem just like you know writing for my dad and also for myself in a way i don't know I, uh, sometimes i feel like i need to understand my emotions better i don't know but like when i'm reading stuff i could read a piece about like just some really deep-seated uh horrific trauma in my life like i'll just read it because it's a poem i want to read but it's nice in that in a way you know that i, I can get through this because for me it means that okay i've turned this thing 
into words that I have control over, you know, and it's not like something that's, that's messing with me in any way or because uh, like I, I don't know, there's, a, there's a joke among my my friends where like, I can only write about sad things, but I don't look sad <laughs> like reading it um, because for lack of a better term, it's, it's therapy for me to write. Uh, so it's just, it's nice. It's like a victory when I'm able to read through a piece about like a family member or myself or like my partner or whatever, and I can like not react because that means that something has been exercised from like that pain for me. So when I'm reading it, I'm just like, I want to convey something so that other people can feel it. again, Julia here. What you just heard were works from Allison Noel Connor, Deanna Hampton, and Marcus Clayton, all of which were published in Dum Dum Zine Issue 6, Rest and Resist. We hope you enjoyed listening to them as much as we enjoyed featuring them in today's episode. Please make sure to check out our show notes for more information about where you can follow Allison, Deanna, and Marcus. Each of them are working on exciting and ambitious creative projects at the moment, so you're going to want to keep up with all of them. Thanks so much for tuning in, and remember, submissions for Issue 7 open October 1st. We'll see you next time on Dum Dum Radio.